We are continuing this morning our study, one another, one another. And, and this study is geared at not what we're supposed to do as a church, but who we are supposed to be, who we are called to be, how we're to relate to each other. This morning, we're looking at how we should think about one another. How we should think about one another. How we should esteem one another as more significant than ourselves. You know, I think back to the 90's when the little bracelets were all the rage. What would Jesus do? Right? Back in the 90's, which that's when I grew up. The bracelets were all on there. What would Jesus do? It was started by someone who wanted wanted teenagers to think about how Jesus would react to certain situations. And it was uh, meant to remind people that in everything that we do, we're supposed to imitate Jesus. And of course, as time went on, uh, WWJD lost its meaning and its, its relevance. I mean, for instance, today... You could wear the bracelet and, and say it to people, but today, I mean, who even cares what Jesus would do? You know, the, the culture that, that we live in. As we think through how we are to be as a church, our ultimate example is Jesus Himself. We look at Him, we look at what He's done for us, and that is how we're to relate to one another. And that's exactly what Paul does in Philippians chapter 2, is he turns our attention to Jesus as the example. He points out what Jesus is doing. He calls on the church, in light of what Jesus has done, to think about everybody else is more significant than me. He calls us in light of what Jesus has done to serve other people. To look after their interests more than I look after my own. And the main thing that we're going to take away here from Philippians chapter 2 is that we should follow His example. We should follow Christ's example considering each other more important than ourselves. And so, if you would, please stand with me as we read Philippians chapter 2 which to many of you this may be a very familiar passage. So, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we pray in that very name, the name that is above every name. And this morning, Lord, as we look at Your Word, as we, as Your people, come under Your Word and look to Your Word for guidance and instruction, I pray, Lord, that You would tear the callousness off of our hearts. That You would cut away the dross. That You would burn away the impurity so that we can this morning get a fresh look at the Savior. And as we behold Him, Lord, I pray that we would be made like Him. And Lord, that that would have a huge impact on how we treat each other. So Lord, speak to us this morning. We meet in vain, Lord, if, if we don't hear from You. So Lord, we are looking to You this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So He gives us three commands here in, in this passage that we looked at. First of all, He tells us that we should esteem one another. We should think about one another. Uh, a certain way, then he turns his attention to we should look to each other's interests. And finally, he tells us that we should have the mind of Jesus. He starts off by telling us that we should think about one another a certain way. What do you tell a church that already has a lot of things together? And that's kind of, that's, that's the Philippian church. This is Paul's... Uh, I hate to say, I say this loosely, this is his favorite church. This is, you know, the other churches, he may write strong rebukes to them, but the church at Philippi, he writes to them, and, and he acknowledges the fact that they are united together in the Gospel. So what do, you, what do you write to a church that is doing extremely well? He writes to them and he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Basically, he writes to him and he says, hey church, you need to be united together in love. I think there's a lot of implications for that, but first of all, it does not matter where a church is on the spectrum of healthy and unhealthy. Unity is something we're always striving toward. We don't just graduate from, from unity. We don't just move on from that. But wherever we are, we must always be focusing on that. And so, how is it that the church at Philippi is going to be united? Why does he tell them this? How are they supposed to do this? And notice what he says. Notice how he picks up there in verse 4, or in verse 3 rather, and he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Literally, he says, it's kind of abrupt, but literally he says, nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing from conceit. And that, that selfish ambition that he's talking about there is, is a selfishness that causes strife and contention. It's, uh, it gives the image of somebody who is seeking political office for their own gain. Oftentimes you would see that word used about politicians. And of course we think about our own political landscape and we get the point. Somebody who is all about power, who is all about themselves, and all about putting their agenda first. 
He says, don't do anything from selfish ambition. Don't do anything with this sense of rivalry, with a sense of arrogance and conceit. The next thing he says is conceit, which of course we know what conceit is, don't we? We know that it's, it's an over-exaggeration of our self-worth. It's where we think more highly of ourselves than we should. You think about selfish ambition, you think about conceit. These two things characterize people that are only thinking of themselves. That only think of themselves. He says, don't do anything from those things. Don't use those as motives. But instead, he says, what should we do? He says that we should count one another as more significant than ourselves. To count or to esteem one another. Notice, it's, it's about how we think. Paul's basically hinting at the fact that we can't change how we respond to each other. We can't change how we interact with each other until we change how we think about each other. So he starts with the brain. He starts with the thinking. Consider each other more important than you think of yourself as important. How does he say that we're to do this? He says to do it in humility. In humility, count others more significant more significant than yourself. When we're going to think about others as more important, it has to be done in humility because that's the essence of what humility is. You can't think about somebody else as more significant out of anything else but humility. But here's a question. What is humility? What is humility? I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it, and I found this very helpful. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is about thinking of yourself less. It's not about you know, saying, well, I'm, just, I'm not good at anything. It's not about you know, pulling yourself down, but it's about not thinking of yourself as much as you do. It's not about the quality, it's about the quantity. And Paul is saying that in humility, we should think about other people more than we think about ourselves. There it is again, the, quality, the quantity aspect. The idea that what he's calling us to is, if I think about myself at this level, I should think about other people at this level. To think about others more than we think about ourselves. To esteem them. To esteem them more than we do ourselves. The word he uses there for more significant, it means to surpass in quality or value, to be better than, to surpass, to excel. So there, not just the quantity aspect, but the quality. In other words, I'm not just thinking of others more often, but I'm actually thinking of them more highly than I think about myself. I think of other people as they are surpassingly better than I am. That's what he's calling the church to do. That's what he's calling people to do. And when I, I look at that, I look at what he's telling us, I just think, how can people like us who are self-centered by nature, and we are, right? How can we who are self-centered by our nature do this kind of thing? And you may look at me and say, well, well it's impossible. And I would say, you're right. 
Good observation. It is impossible. It is not possible for us to merely go from being selfish to selfless. It's not possible for us to go from thinking about ourselves uh, as, as the stuff to thinking about other people more. And what we need is we need the transforming power of Christ. We need to realize that it is not up to us to have this mindset, but we need His help. We need the Holy Spirit to transform us. You know, you look at worldly organizations out in the the secular world, and you find selfishness running rampant. You look at just corporate America, for example, and you find businesses that are being run by people who are looking out for number one. In fact, that's the whole thing. They call it the rat race. Everybody trying to get ahead. Whatever cost necessary, I must get ahead. But the church is very different. Because the church, unlike a worldly organization, is made up of people who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The church is made up of people who have that transforming power of Christ working in us. And so the question that as I look at what Paul is telling us, and I think about where we are as a church, the question that I just can't help but wonder is, are we doing what he commands there? Are we doing whatever it takes to get what we want? Am I doing everything that it takes to get what I want? Am I looking out for number one? Or am I looking at other people and thinking about them? How do we think about one another? Do you think about your brothers and your sisters more than you think about yourself? Do you think that more highly of them than you do yourselves? Are they, do you think of them as more important than yourself? Paul wants to change how we think about each other. The second thing that he tells us is that we're not just to consider one another as more highly, uh, more valuable than we consider ourselves, but the second thing that he says is that we're to look after the interests of others. We're to look at after the interests of others. And notice, I love how he puts it. He says, look, which the word he uses there means to pay very careful attention to. The way that the church community thinks about each other is tied very closely to how we watch each other. How we observe, how we look at each other. This is the image uh, of somebody who's watching someone else very closely to imitate their life. Like Paul in uh, Later on in this book, Philippians 3, he wants them to look at him so that they could imitate him. It's the picture of somebody who's an apprentice watching the master do something so that they can become like the master. But it's also the image that's given, for instance, in Romans chapter 16 of we watch things so that we don't fall into a trap. That word is used to describe how we're to to watch to make sure that something does not come and take us captive negatively. I I just think about as a parent, there's always a difference between the first baby and the second baby, right? And those of you who have multiple children, you know what I'm talking about, right? The first baby, I mean, you are like a hawk. 
You don't leave. I mean, you, you get the video monitors. I mean, you watch that baby all the time. Lest something happen to your child. I mean, for the first one, you'll let them go outside and play, but you're going to be right there. You're going to be watching them like a hawk. And if they start trying to put a bug in their mouth, I mean, you go over there and snatch that thing up. But what about the second baby? What about the second child? I'm the firstborn in my family, so, but if you're the secondborn, you've experienced this firsthand. The second one that comes along, not quite as much do we watch them, do we? Sure, son, you want to eat dirt? Go for it. <laughs> Little dirt never hurts. Paul's talking about looking. But if you had to compare it to how you look after your children, probably the first baby is what he intends. To watch intently. Who does he say that we're to watch? Who does he say that we're to look at? He says, the interests of one another. Don't look just to your own interests. Look to the interests of others, he says. The interests of other people. Instead of focusing on me, I am to watch, to observe, to focus on somebody else. I don't think he's saying here that we should neglect our own needs. I don't think that he's saying that we should not at all look to our interests, but I think what he's saying is the level at which I look at my own interests, I should look at other people's interests even more than that. Church, we're not made for mirrors. We're not made for mirrors. I wonder how many church fights could be avoided. I wonder how much conflict could be avoided if we actually thought about other people and looked after their interests more than we look after our own. I wonder how many conflicts could be avoided if we simply just humbly said, it's not about what I want. And I'm willing to put what they want ahead of what I want. As we think about that, as we think about how to obey that, how often do we look at other needs? Are you the, are you the type of person that you're, you're looking constantly at how you can serve other people? Or are you the type of person that just says, well, I'm going to wait until a need comes up and then I'm going to serve? And I tell you, what Paul intends for us to do is to watch one another intently looking for ways that we can serve. Not just sitting back hoping that an opportunity to serve comes along and then maybe we'll take it. You see, the, the difference there is when we sit back and we just say, I'm going to wait for something to come up what does that do for us? That makes us complacent. And it actually does something to our mind. It makes us get into the mindset of, of thinking that it really is all about me. Because as we sit and as we wait, as we're not looking at other people, as we're not looking at other ways to serve, we start to slowly think that this is really all about me. Now we may not say that. Of course we're not going to say that. But that becomes our mindset. Church is about me. The ministry of the church is how well this church can serve my needs. 
But instead, if we adopt what he's talking about here, if we have that mindset, if we're looking to the interests of others, then we are constantly looking. Actively looking. Not just sitting down and waiting, but we are looking for ways that we can serve. And you know what that does to our mindset? It kills every sense of self. It changes us from being selfish to being selfless. It changes us from just wanting to sit on a pew to actually wanting to serve other people. And ultimately, it will change us from a church that is inward focused to being a church that is external focused. It's not just about me, but it's about others. And when that gets to be every one of our mindsets, when that becomes what we focus on, imagine how God could use us as a church when we start realizing that it's not really about me and it's about how I serve other people. I love this image. People always ask, do you wear a bib or do you wear an apron? I mean, it's the same thing that we're talking about here. What's the difference in a bib and an apron? Don't they do the same thing? They do. They keep your clothes from getting messy. The only difference between a bib and an apron is what you wear it while with what you're doing, right? You wear a bib when you're being served so you don't get your clothes messy. But you wear an apron when you're constantly looking to serve other people. Church, we need to be people that are wearing aprons. Men, we got to be men that are looking for areas to serve more than we look after ourselves. Women, we need to be women in the church who serve, who are not looking after our own interests, who are not looking after how I can get ahead, how my preferences can be what goes into place, but how can I serve other people in humility? And notice what Paul does here. He doesn't just stop there, but then he turns the whole thing and he says, let's take a look at Jesus for a second. The third thing that He commands us to do is to have the mindset of Christ. Why are we to look so differently than the world? Why is it so important that we love each other like this and serve each other like this? It's because we are called to reflect Christ. We are called to reflect Jesus. And I love how the New American Standard puts the next verse that we're looking at there. Verse 5, he said... It says, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's saying this attitude that he's going after, this attitude of I'm going to think about other people, I'm going to look after their interests more than my own, have that attitude. And he says, but I want you to see that this is in Christ Jesus. This is the mindset that Jesus had. And if we're going to be imitators of Jesus, then we have to do this. It's not optional. Paul doesn't say, like he does in other places, I want you to imitate me. Or I want you to look at you know, this Christian leader and imitate the way they're doing it. No, Paul says, I want you to look to the One who actually did this perfectly. The Lord Jesus Himself. And He gives us Jesus' attitude. I mean, look at it. He says, in verse 6, He says, "Who, Though He was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Even though Jesus is God, 
He did not insist on having the rights of God. Even though He was truly all-powerful, He didn't use His power to get. He used His power to serve. He says next, verse 7, but He made Himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Some translations say He emptied Himself. Now, I just want to say, He did not empty Himself of being divine. He didn't stop being God that He could be man. But what Paul is getting at here is that He gave up His status and His privilege. This is what one commentator says. He says, Paul is not saying that Christ became less than God or gave up some divine attributes. He's not even commenting directly on the question of whether Jesus was fully omnipotent and omniscient during His time on earth. Nor is He saying that Christ ever gave up being in the form of God. But y'all watch this. Rather, Paul is stressing that Christ, who had all the privileges that were rightly His as a King of the universe gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby bound for the cross. Jesus had every right to be served as a king, yet He gave up His rights to instead serve other people, to wash His disciples' feet, and ultimately to die. How did He empty Himself? How did He... Uh, how did he Become like nothing, He became human. He became human. And what did He do with His humanity? Paul tells us, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. We don't see Jesus taking on flesh, which in and of itself is humiliating already. That God would take on Flesh. But we see here that He uses His flesh to die. I mean, y'all think about that. The Creator on a hill He created by people He created allowed Himself to be killed. If the one who actually had the right to put Himself first didn't, then why do we think that we should? If the one who actually had the right to think of himself more and he thought about others, how much more should we think about others? Paul doesn't just leave Jesus in this humiliating, humbling state, but he gives us the rest of the picture, Jesus' exaltation. He says that God the Father super exalted Jesus to the highest place. The word that he uses there for highly exalted means that there is no higher place than where God the Father put Jesus. He super exalted Him at His right hand to the very highest place. There can be no one greater than Jesus because He is by definition in the highest place. It says that He has given Him a name that is above every name. Once again, highly exalted. 
Even though Jesus gave up all these things, even though He sacrificed Himself, we need to realize that the Master that we're serving is far superior to anything else on earth. And He finally says that every knee will bow to Him and pay homage. Every knee will bow, He says. Every tongue will confess This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 45. This is what Isaiah prophesies. God speaks and says to His people, Turn to Me, He says, and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By Myself I have sworn, from My mouth is gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And this is God's word that goes out. It says, To Me, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. That's where that comes from in the Old Testament. And I want you all to see what Paul is doing here and quoting that about Jesus. Yahweh in Isaiah is saying, as the Lord of the universe, every knee will bow to me. And notice Paul doesn't just say Yahweh, he says now Jesus. If ever we saw somewhere in Scripture the emphasis that Jesus is God Himself, we see it here. That He has a name that's above every name. That every knee one day will bow to Him because He is the King. And guys, here's the point of it all. Here's the point of it all. If Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who made all people bow down to Him, who will do that one day. But if He chose the path of selflessness, shouldn't we do the same thing? Do you think about Jesus as you make decisions? Do you think about Jesus as you respond to other people? Because you see, we treat people differently now. Because we think about Jesus. We think about how He humbled Himself, and so we humble ourselves. We treat people differently. We treat people differently in the church. We treat differently people at home. Husbands, we treat our wives differently because we think about Jesus. We treat our children differently because of how we think about Jesus. We interact with the world differently because we are looking to Jesus who laid down everything. One final question is, can people look at you and see Jesus by the way you treat other people? Church, I just can't get more blunt than this. We are saying something about Jesus by how we treat other people. We're either going to tell truth about Jesus or we're going to tell lies about Jesus. And the question this morning is, in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we treat the world, which is it going to be? Is it going to be truth? Or is it going to be lies? Are we going to think about ourselves first and lie to the world about our King and say, well, He really only thought about Himself? Or will we tell them the truth by our actions? We see in this passage that we should esteem one another more than we esteem ourselves. 
We see that we should look to the interests of other people. And finally, we see that we're to have the very mindset that Jesus has. As we think this morning about responding to God's Word, if you're not a Christian here this morning, for you, responding to this is to abandon yourself. To abandon your sin. To abandon your way of life. And to cling to Christ. To realize that you are an enemy of God because of your sin. But that Christ has made a way that He lived a life that you should have lived and He died the death that you deserve. And you can, this morning, by clinging to Him, be set free. You can be forgiven. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I think the way that we should respond, church, is to, first of all, repent. When I look at what we see here in Philippians 2, the first thing I think of is, man, I don't measure up to that. I don't do the things that I should be doing. And so we should repent, church, of how we treat each other. Second thing we should do is we should ask for His help. We can't do this on our own. Thirdly, we should make the cross something that we meditate on every day. It's hard to think about yourself first when you're meditating on the cross. When you're meditating on what Jesus has done for us. And finally, we should seek out. And I've been saying this. This is at the end of every message so far in this series. We should seek out a brother or a sister that we're at odds with and we should seek restoration. If Jesus can take us who are so far away from God and to restore us, if He can bridge so great a distance between a sinner and the holy God, then how can we not as Christians then go and bridge the distance between people that we're at odds with and to seek restoration and reconciliation? And so that for you this morning, that may mean that you, in a moment while we sing, that you get up and you go to the person that you're at odds with and say, God has really been convicting me through this word this morning. Maybe for some of you, that may mean when you leave this place, you call the person. That may mean tomorrow you go and see the person. But church, we should not be a place that harbors any bitterness towards each other should not be a place that where people are at odds with each other. We should be a place where everybody comes together and realizes that Jesus is first, not us. That others are first, not us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that we have an example to look to. That we don't just do this on our own, that we don't just you know, have to go out there and try to manufacture this attitude, but we can look at Jesus Himself and see it on display. And Lord, as we think on Him, as we think about how He left glory, He left behind His rights, that He could come and rescue us. Lord, let that change how we think about each other. Lord, I pray that You would do a work here this morning, and not just this morning, but that it would continue, that there would not be a single person here 
who selfishly looks out after themselves. But Lord, I pray that this would be a church that's marked by selflessness. It would be a church marked by people who are actively looking for ways to serve one another. In Jesus' name.